Welcome back to Grid. I'm Campbell, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by one member of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters. After a 3-2 and two, week 13, we are 33-27-5 in the Las Vegas Super Contest, tied for 822nd place. We did have a game last night, recording this on a Tuesday morning. We had a chance to go 4-1, and one, but after deliberately selecting Colt McCoy and putting him on the card, DP, we were served a hot, steaming plate of Mark Sanchez. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, I, I was... I was a bit disheartened when I saw Colt McCoy limping off and not going in. It looked at first, you know, like he's kind of banged himself up with the, you know, banged up ankle or something like that. And I was like, okay, maybe he'll get back in there. Cause I, I think he played a, a couple snaps even after he, what we later found out he broke his leg. So Redskins go down with two, uh, two quarterbacks that have now broken their legs, which is quite unlucky. And we got the Sanchez in there who has only been on the team for two weeks. I mean, I don't really know what you can do there. I mean, it, on top of that, they lost, I feel like 18 more offensive linemen. Um, I don't really know where these, the Redskins are getting offensive linemen anymore because they've gone through like 12 of them this season. Uh, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what we're going to do. Sometimes you just got to battle injuries. Injuries are unlucky. Certainly the Eagles had their fair share of them, but, but yeah, when your backup quarterback goes out, who's, you know, supposed to be the guy and help you, uh, move forward throughout the rest of the season. And then you got a guy who's been on your roster for two weeks. I mean, I don't really know what to say. Yeah, the slurs lose Jonathan Cooper, offensive lineman, to the season. Torn biceps in that contest, the already battered front line. And not only did Colt McCoy come back and play a couple plays with a broken leg, he completed two passes on a broken leg. Finished the game 4 of 4 for 50 yards, 12 and a half yards per attempt. I feel like he he really had a chance to carve up that bad Eagle secondary, and even when the Chais got in there and led that two-minute drive from the one-yard line, got them in a field goal position, I mean, he tried to, to Sanchez there. He tried to throw that lollipop into the air to get intercepted. Luckily, Michael Floyd came back to the ball and, and batted it down, played a bit of defense. The There were chances there for them to move the ball, but like you said, uh, he doesn't have full command of the playbook. He's also Mark Sanchez, so he's not fantastic. So, unfortunately... I mean, we were kind of gassing up Mo. Mo is currently in Krakow, Poland, with a friend of the program who will hopefully bring back in the fold when Champions League knockout stage comes around. Uh, Jan Kores, uh, they're gallivanting around uh, Europe for a bit here. Uh, we were gassing him up about how well Sanchez was playing, but much of that was said in jest. Uh, I guess we'll just tackle this game real quick. We get a 90-yard touchdown from Adrian Peterson and an interception on the goal line. That game could have been much uglier uh, than it ended up being, DP. Uh, once Mark Sanchez entered the game, uh, any chances of covering, I think, kind of went away, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, we needed to get really lucky at that point. And I don't I don't necessarily think that Sanchez looks so bad. Um, 
it's you can just tell that he just doesn't have the repetition with the receivers. You know, like you just he's been there for two weeks. He doesn't have that timing down. He doesn't have the plays down. He only knows what fifteen plays last week and however much of the handful that they added this week uh, for him. And then the, you know the another thing that that hurt them when Mark Sanchez got in is they couldn't establish the run at all. I mean, I know that we hate running backs or we think that they don't matter, but when you do have a backup quarterback, her your third stringer who's just picked up off the street, you probably need to have some sort of running game to at least keep the other team guessing. Because when you just can't move the ball at all on the ground, well, the other team's just going to be able to sit back. And this Eagles secondary is not good, so that just speaks a lot to where this Redskins offense is right now. Yeah, with Mark, it's always been about decision-making. You cannot question the tools. He's great in the pocket, uh, although he's not the most aware. When he feels the rush, he can slide. He can break out. He can even run the ball. He ran for a first down uh, in that fourth quarter on like a third and eight. He can also really spin the rock. Some of those throws last night, really tight spirals on time where they needed to be. But ultimately, at the end of the day, and this matters more than anything at the quarterback position now in the current NFL, is Marcus not always going to make the best decisions. We saw that on the interception, uh, just poorly uh, attempted throw. And that's really all that matters in 2018 at the quarterback position. As long as you are average, you are replacement level in terms of your raw abilities and skills, as long as you make the right decisions you're going to have some success. We saw it on the other side of the ball, Carson Wentz. I said this in the chat, and I'll bring it to light here. The Eagles, to me, feel like the new Patriots, um, especially the evaluation of the quarterback. I've been on here for the better part of two years now, giving Carson Wentz crap, and I see the same things with him that I see with Brady. The only thing he's got on Brady is he's younger, uh, has a stronger arm, and can run. Uh, and the running has definitely gone down coming off of that ACL surgery. But it's not like Wentz is fitting the ball into tight windows. They're scheming guys open. They're running a lot of pick plays, a lot of screen action uh, where there's some deception on a fake to the jet, and it just creates a lot of space. And that offensive line, the the one thing the Monday Night Football crew has done a good job of probably this whole season was just showing how insane uh, Kelsey is, Jason Kelsey is up front at uh just how he can get wide from the center position. I mean, he's just amazing. And it's not like Carson's making any difficult throws or even difficult decisions. And then when he has to make a tough throw in a tight spot in the red zone, he throws a ball that just, you can't throw it there to Alshon Jeffrey. You can't throw it low in that spot. Josh Norman undercuts the route easily and it's an interception. So do you, do you see what I'm seeing in this new Patriots Philadelphia Eagles, DP. Uh, I mean, yeah, but Brady is way better than Wentz. I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, Wentz is. I don't think he's that. I think he's he's fine. Like he can be a a winning quarterback, you know, for your team in in 2018 and going forward. Just the state of the NFL, you don't have to be great. You can be just good. Like he can be that. But he's going to certainly need to to reel it back a bit in terms of, you know, he's starting to throw some really questionable balls. Um, when he when he turns the ball over but then also you know there was he missed a, it would look like it should have been a touchdown to Ertz down the the left side on that one play where he threw it I don't know six yards past him 
And then another, there was another screenplay, uh, which I think it was Ertz again. And it looked like Ertz had, you know, 25 yards in front of him. Just the simple things like that. He missed Nelson Aguilar, I think, on a third down, uh, just, you know, on a crossing route that was, you know, short to, to pick up the first round down. Um, so stuff like that, he certainly is going to need to clean up. I mean, I'm really starting to look at this Eagles team and say, well, was this just all Frank Reich or like what's going on there? Because he leaves, the Colts look awesome. Uh, he looks like he's got Andrew Luck playing amazing again. And the Eagles don't look like they did last year when they were running to the Super Bowl with Nick Foles at the helm. John Filippo deserves some credit as well. Quarterbacks coach. He went on to be offensive coordinator of the Vikings. And say what you will about Diggs and Thielen, but Kirk Cousins has never looked like this. You know, like Kirk Cousins, he had some moments at Washington, but he has consistently played very well behind the not so great offensive line in Minnesota. So as a team that should have an open head coach vacancy, fingers crossed, uh, Mr. Johnson, I would really like uh, DeFilippo's head coach for the Jets, who I would not like is Mike McCarthy. Please, Lord, please, <laughs> begging you not to hire Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy needs at least a year off, if not longer. I'm also starting to think that, or I've decided that literally the only thing I think that matters in the NFL is your offensive line. That's all that I think matters. Yeah, there's two. I don't really, I don't care about anything else. Two things, two, there's literally two things that if you can do them, you're going to be able to flip coins in the playoffs and maybe win a title. Protect the quarterback, rush the quarterback. That's it. That's, that's really it because. The rules don't let you cover anymore. And on the other side, it's never been easier to get open. And at the quarterback position, it's never been easier to deliver the ball to the receivers. So if you can protect the quarterback, that dude's going to be able to sit back, pat the ball, somebody's getting open. And on the other side of the ball, if you're able to get to the quarterback, disrupt the flow of the offense, well, then that's the only way to shut down these passing attacks. Offensive line and edge rushers and interior rushers as well. That's why Aaron Donald is like the most destructible force in football. If you can rush up the middle, I mean, it just ruins the entire offense. You can't move the ball. So, yeah, I've, I've definitely been on that O-line, D-line train for, for a while now. Let's skip around some of our stats real quick before we get into the rest of the games. Got to give love to Mo. Got to continue pouring on the love for Mo. Another four in one week for the kid. He is now 41, 21, and three. He would be tied for, I believe it was 19th in the super contest if he were to have entered the card that he submits to me every week. 42 and a half points, tied for 19th. Yes. And he would be tied for first in super contest gold. So Mo continues to crush. He was not only four and one in his top five last week, 12 and four when picking all 16 games. I also went 4-1. and one. The slurs prevented me from getting a perfect week. Minotti put together a body blow of 3-2, and two, as did the collective card. And DP, after back-to-back 4-1 weeks, you gave us a 1-4 and four stinker. However, the one game you yeah, put on the Yeah, tell us about that one. The one game that mattered was a W. And let's get positive. Let's... Let's save Browns-Texans for a second, and let's stay positive with your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 24-17 was the final. They were hosting 
the Carolina Panthers. They were somehow three-and-a-half-point home dogs. And DP, you put them on the card. You got the outright win. Talk about this touchdown win. Seven full points for the three-and-a-half-point dog by your Buccaneers. I mean, when I saw this line, I was I was astounded. I thought that this should have been a pick, um, maybe even Bucks minus one. The fact that it was Panthers minus three. I mean, I, I'm just I say it over and over again. I'm just not that high on these Carolina Panthers. I mean, they can certainly play well at times, but in terms of being consistent, I just don't think that it's there yet. I don't think that they have a very high ceiling. I feel like they can bottom out in terms of having a like just crappy weeks every week. Um, pretty low. So I just don't think too much of them. This game to me felt like these kind of teams were very similar. I mean, listen, I know the Bucks defense is horrible, but the Panthers defense, especially that pass defense has not been that great uh, all year. And this Bucks offense, you know, I think is a little bit better uh, all around than the Panthers offense. I know that the quarterback for the Panthers, you know, can certainly be better, but Cam Newton, just, just on him for a second. I mean, I don't, know what's wrong with him it it looks like he's like throwing a shot put every time he's throwing the ball like he's really trying to push it very hard every time he throws the ball it looks like he's winding up to throw a deep ball but then like the ball comes out with this weird downward trajectory and like it's like a 12 yard pass it it just seems weird and then didn't they have to take him out at the end of the game to throw the Hail Mary so that tells me that there is something wrong with him I mean I don't know if it's just something with his shoulder because you know he is a running quarterback he does get drilled a ton of times maybe there's just something that's prohibiting him from being able to throw the ball like he did so much before Um, just this year especially I think that Cam Newton looks a bit different and not in a good way um, and then obviously this Bucks defense, I think this Bucks defense can just put up points on anyone uh, whenever they want. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're going to necessarily win games um, because they can certainly get blown out with that defense that they have. But uh, at home, they've been playing really well. Uh, again, they haven't let up more than 23 points at home, I think, other than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and this one, they only let up uh, 17 to the Carolina Panthers. So that continues to, to be a trend that I think we should look at where, you know, yeah, this this off or this defense isn't that good. They're giving up a ton of yards. But if they can keep people out of the end zone and they can put, put up points on their side of the ball um, in an offensive league, I mean, they're going to be a good spot going forward. Yeah, Cam Newton had uh, shoulder surgery, torn rotator cuff in January of two thousand. 17 I believe or March of 2017 sometime before the draft so seeing him get benched for something called Taylor Heineke for that Hail Mary was a bit alarming right we're 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 thinking that in modern medicine that a year and a half should be enough to recover from rotator cuff if not you know what what is really going on there um to your original point about what this line should have been. I'm not even kidding. When I first started doing my capping on Thursday night, I sit down, I look at my worksheet that hopefully you guys have all checked out. It's pinned to my Twitter page at Rich T Ryan. I update it every week with DVOA, with weather, with team injuries, all that stuff. And when I was first capping, I thought that this was this game was in Carolina and I was still interested in the three and a half with Tampa Bay. And then when I realized that this is a home dog situation, well, my mind was absolutely blown. There was only one other game that was more of a joke that we'll get to that was ranked higher. You sniped this contest from me. Uh, I just don't understand. The Panthers now have road losses to the Falcons, who have been a triage unit all season, the Slurs, the Lions, and now the woeful 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's just some weird there's weird parallels between Cam and Big Ben in terms of play style. I mean, when he came into the league, Ben was probably the best comp, really big guy, athletic, big arm. And and don't kid yourself when I say athletic. You're probably sitting there watching the statue that is Big Ben now and laughing. But when Big Ben came into the league, that dude had some wheels. Uh, if you remember, the most iconic play he's probably ever made, uh, Jerome Bettis fumbling at the goal line against the Colts, AFC title game. Uh, Big Ben sprints backwards like 30 or 40 yards and tackles Bob Sanders with one arm, uh, grabs his leg somehow, and brings him down. Ben was super athletic when he was younger. And they both have these weird home road issues. They're just apocalyptic when they are outside of their own stadiums. Uh, Cam with four interceptions could have been five or six, I think, in watching this contest. Uh, and on the other side of the ball, yeah, Winston, no problem. Pushing the ball downfield, 8.3 yards per attempt. He doesn't make uh, his normal mistakes, saves himself for the interceptions. And Chris Godwin, who just continues to blossom into a tremendous player, catches five balls for 101 yards and a touchdown. The Bucks do what they do on offense. They rally to the ball on defense. They probably played their best game of the year, but definitely an assist to Cam Newton. And we get the outright win with the dog. One of two uh, that we had on the card. So well done by these Carolina, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's get to our 1 p.m. loss, which I am quite salty about. DP, last week I was loud wrong, really loud wrong, about the Cleveland Browns. I thought that the line with the Bengals as minus three was a joke. It steamed to a pick on Sunday and then the Browns steamrolled the Bengals. Then this week, I said, you know what? I'll cl- I'll, I'll select the Browns. Not going to put them high, though. I'm going to put them down towards the end. But Brett put the Browns on the card, his number one pick. They were catching five and a half points, traveling to Houston to take on the red-hot Texans, who had won eight straight. It's now nine straight. They win 29-13. Baker Mayfield, three interceptions. Houston's defense clamps down on the rookie. This game was not close. 23-0 at halftime, DP. Where were your brownies, man? What happened here? Dude, I don't I don't know where my brownies were. Um, I mean, specifically Baker. I mean, he played as, as bad as humanly possible, I feel like. Uh, you know, he he'd been playing pretty well uh since they get they got rid of Hugh Jackson. Uh I mean he's not exactly letting the world on fire, but certainly looks like, you know, the the guy. Like they they got the guy, you know, in Cleveland. Uh he comes out in this one, he throws three just ridiculous interceptions. And yeah, that was I mean, those interceptions right there were the game. I mean, yards per play, I think Cleveland was like eight and uh, the Texans were around five or five point two or something like that. So they outgained them in yards per play. But it's these turnovers. I mean, it, what was it? Two, was it two pick sixes or was it just one? I, f- I forget. Whatever it was, it was it was horrible. I mean, get, turning the ball over like that. I know turnovers can be random, but I mean, Baker's just got to be better with the ball. He has to be. And, you know, I, I started like obviously I'm, I'm at the sports book and I'm watch, trying to watch, you know, 19 different games at once and everything's going on and I'm having conversations and all this sort of crap chatting with you guys, blah, blah, blah. But I really tried to pay attention to 
to this Browns game. And, and, you know, I think Baker needs to like, he needs to get, obviously needs to get a coach in there. Who's like a quarterback offensive kind of guru guy to, to reel him in a little bit. Baker seems like he wants to like, get a little bit too much like Brett Favre. Like he just wants to sling it down the field, you know, and there's times when at least from what I saw, it looked like people were open in this game specifically looked like Duke Johnson a lot, just on that dump off over the middle. Uh, I mean, Duke Johnson's a good football player. You get him the ball on those dump offs, he can make things happen. You know, you can turn second and 10 into third and two pretty easily. Um, but it always looked like Baker Mayfield wanted to just really push it downfield. And that's not always going to work. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a passing league and, you know, you can throw a lot uh, in, in on offense these days. But, uh, you know, you got to take what the defense is giving you a lot of times, too. And he seemed reluctant to want to do that in this game. I I'm not so sure that that's been going on in, in past games, but, but yeah, I mean, I think another example of that too, is that, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry kind of woke up in this game after being dead for the past couple of weeks. But the, the times that I saw Jarvis Landry in this game, he was catching 30 yard passes and Jarvis Landry never catches 30 yard passes. Like he's just a dink and dunk guy who gets, you know, eight receptions for 35 yards a game. Like that's just what he does. So the fact that, you know, they're sending Jarvis Landry downfield tells me that that might also be on the coaching a little bit. Here's my thing about a lot of the the numbers there, especially the yards for play. This is a game where the box score is no indication of what happened in this contest. All of those yards, specifically Baker's, were in garbage time, right? Houston's playing soft. They're playing off. They don't really need to. And despite getting all these garbage yards in the second half, I mean, Baker threw for 400 yards in this game. The Browns could still only muster 13 points. So, well, okay, one second. One of those, one of those was a 76-yard bomb that Mr. Callaway decided to fumble at the one-yard line. That's true. So, like, okay, Mr. Idiot Callaway, who I cannot stand. I have no idea what he does good other than run really fast straight. So we'll spot killing me, man. We'll, we'll spot them another seven. They still lose by nine. They still don't cover and. Dare I say, we're not giving enough credit to Houston during this run. They are fourth in defense and in the thing that matters, seventh in adjusted sack rate. That defensive line is going to give teams nightmares. And the offense is okay. It's not great. I'm still not in love with Deshaun. I'm still not in love with that offensive line. But they're performing. And as long as they can avoid making mistakes and hit the big play now and again. It really helps to have somebody like DeAndre Hopkins on the boundary that can make any catch in any scenario. And Deshaun, who can break a play if the pocket collapses and get you some yards, I'm still, every time that guy takes a hit, I feel like it's going to be the end of the world. I think the Texans are pretty frisky. Nobody wants to block that defensive front, and I think that they can get off a big play or two on the offensive side of the ball. I think they were absolutely the right side in this contest. They dominated the Browns uh, on on defense. And then once they get out to that lead, they got great field position and, and scored those points, obviously converting one of the interceptions for a touchdown. There was just nothing the Browns could do. You can't be in pass-only mode against that defensive line or you're just going to get destroyed. I'm I'm really getting annoyed with this Houston Texans team. I mean, it's to me, it's the it's the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC. I mean, they're both from both from Texas, but I 
I don't see them being a really good team, but they, for whatever reason, continue to disprove me wrong. Um, I mean, I still want to keep, you know, selling and and buying anything that I can against them whenever I can. Uh, it, it's certainly going to be a spot where, you know, that, that first playoff game, I'm probably going to be looking at the other side if I can get a good price, good number, whatever it may be. But I just, I don't see it. But, I mean, kudos to them because, like you said, I mean, they just keep showing us every single week that they deserve to be. I mean, listen, they're, they're obviously not the, the Chiefs. They're not the Saints. They're not the Rams. But they're playing really well. They, you know, they have that good defense that you mentioned. Deshaun looks like he's getting a little bit better every single week. Um, so yeah, I mean, and if for whatever reason, Lamar Miller looks like he's just like reborn, like if, if he can keep that up, I mean, that's good for them too, but, but yeah, and they have a pretty easy schedule, uh, to close out the year with four weeks left. So, I mean, I, I still think there's going to be some spots that we can go against them, but I think we're going to have to really be picky with it because they're, they're a pretty solid team. They are. They do not have a murderer's row in front of them either Colts Jets Eagles Jags to round out the season and it's something Brett brought up in the preseason talking about Warren Sharp's preseason schedule ratings and the Texans had the easiest schedule in the league and it is coming to fruition with this nine game run that they've put together the other dog that won outright a 14 point dog the Arizona Cardinals went to the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field and beat the Packers outright 20 to 17 was the final. Josh Rosen again a horrific stat line. 26 attempts, 149 yards, zero interceptions, 5.7 yards per attempt and the old QBR of 38. But on the other side of the ball it's not like the Packers were efficient either. The winds and the cold Definitely got to both teams. Aaron Rodgers, 50 attempts, but it could only muster 233 yards and one score. Really great day defensively for the Cardinals, and we definitely had fumble luck uh, on uh, going against us, actually. Uh, the Cardinals ended up fumbling three times, but did not lose any of them, so we were definitely a bit fortunate there. Um, but in this slugfest... In this game of defense, there was one team that if you're going into this game and you wanted them to win a street fight, it is the Cardinals. It's a defense that we've trusted all season, and they get the job done. Uh, Unfortunately for David Johnson owners, it was Chase Edmonds on the ground for two scores. And the results of this contest is not only does Gridiron Gamble get a win, a full point, but Mike McCarthy, as I noted earlier, loses his job. DP, how did they hang 14 here? I mean, this was the slammiest of dunks of all time. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it was 13 and a half, but still. Um, I know. I, I don't, not with this Packers team, no way. The only way that they would have covered this if this was the Aaron Rodgers FU game. If he was just pissed off with everything that was being said. But in order for him to be pissed off, for about what everything was being said, he needed to want to like his coach, which I don't think he does. You know, he, he needed to like almost like have that FU game in support of his coach, which I totally think Aaron Rodgers is like just checked out with Mike McCarthy or was checked out with Mike McCarthy. Um, so I don't think that he was even going to bother to try here, you know? So yeah, I mean this, 
the Cardinals have, have they've been a tough out in a lot of spots. I mean, they're always seem to be getting huge numbers, um, which is you know good for us when we're looking uh, at these less less popular teams uh, like the Cardinals. But yeah, 13 and a half, 14 points. I mean, I don't really know what the hell they were thinking, especially with you know going up there where it's bad weather. You just don't think that the you know the offense is going to be flying all over the field for either side. So, so yeah, I mean, this this felt like it would just kind of be, for the Packers at least, uh, you know, kind of a run straight game. Uh, at least, you know, the way Aaron Jones has been playing, give him the rock as much as possible. You know, let Aaron Rodgers do what he does, but don't really put the game in his hands. Uh, just, you know, give it to Aaron Jones as much as possible. And then uh, let, let your defense just shut down uh, Rosen on the other side and that Carolina offense, or sorry, that Cardinals uh, offense and uh, if that was the case then I don't see how any team wins by 14 I just don't see it this was not a fun watch the two teams were a combined 8 of 24 on third down uh, the Cardinals really bullied the Packers nearly 200 yards of rushing and to just get bullied on your home turf against the Cardinals it just can't happen so that was my number one pick the Bucks were my number two pick and my number three pick, which made the card, which made you all queasy, which made you all think that Brett was going to fire his veto, the Seattle Seahawks, DP, laying the nine and a half against something Mullins. Something Mullins who could only score nine points against the Buccaneers. He goes up to CenturyLink, and this is another game. You look at the box score, Nick Mullins has 400 yards of passing. But if you watch that contest, the Niners never had a chance. The Hawks dominate this game from the out. 43 to 16 is the final, and it was truly all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams. Super shout out to Tyler Lockett. This guy is hilarious. Anybody who's doing any kind of statistical analysis for fantasy football, he's breaking all the models. He has one catch in this game for 52 yards and a touchdown. He has, uh, I want to say, seven or eight touchdowns this season, which at his catch rate and his yards rate should be way lower than that. And then that special teams play, he gets the ball down close to the end zone on a kick return. He's just a fantastic player. Uh, Jerron Brown leads this team in receiving. The Hawks... It. Pete Carroll should absolutely win Coach of the Year for what he's doing with this talent, with this roster. Hawks just roll in CenturyLink, DP. I don't think any NFC team wants to see Seattle in the playoffs. Uh, I don't. I don't think so either. I mean, you know, Russell Wilson has experience. That that team, that coaching staff, they have experience. I don't think that you know you want to face a team that's that's rolling like they are right now. Um, you know, going into the playoffs. Uh, I mean, I think we've certainly seen that every team has its flaw, even over in the NFC, where you do have those those two powerhouses in the Saints and the Rams. I mean, they certainly have their flaws, and if Seattle's got to go on the road, I mean, just. The fact that they've done it before, they've been there before, I think that they can go on the road. Um, I mean, the the Seahawks, let's say they go on to face the Rams deep in the playoffs. They always play the Rams well. Always. You know, they give them games no matter what year it is. And, and also, it's been the other way, too, you know, where the Rams have been sort of a dumpster fire. And they've gone even into Seattle at times past couple of years. And they've always played the Seahawks really well. So I think that that's going to be a good game. Um, I mean, I guess if Seattle had to go to New Orleans later on, that might be like the toughest road 
uh, to go. But even then, I mean, the Seattle team, their defense is playing good under Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll always seems to be that sort of defensive guru that gets gets his guys going. And then they are just, I mean, this like this looking at the numbers, you see Russell Wilson was 11 for 17, 185 yards with four touchdowns. I, I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's such um, a such a Russell line. Such I know. And they're line. just running the ball on everyone. Like they're just lining up and they're like, we're just going to run this ball down your throat. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. Uh, I mean, even when you get Mike Davis in there a little bit, uh, just an extra bruiser. Um, and then, you know, obviously Russ can run the ball if he needs to. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that this team is just, uh, they're just going to be really tough to get, get out at times. Um, I think that no one's going to want to face them. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I know it's late in the season and, and prices really adjust, but you could buy a ticket on them, uh, to, to go on and make the Super Bowl win the NFC. I, I don't think that that's out, out of the realm of possibility just because of the price you're going to get on the Seahawks. You know, when you have the saints, you have the Rams over there. Um, I think that this would be a, a decent uh, a decent bet right now, you know, if you're looking to get into the futures game a little bit later than than a lot of other people have. I will say that I think you're spot on with your analysis of the two powerhouses in the NFC. I think they match up really well against the Rams. However, I think the Saints could blow their doors off, uh, especially on the turf. But outside, Jared Goff, shaky quarterback. Rams defense still not what it should be, although they put up Rams a great. Don't really have home field. I mean, they do, but they don't. You know, so oh, yeah. if the, if that the Seahawks that... have to go down to L.A., it's kind of just whatever. Yeah, there'd be forty percent Hawks fans there for sure. So, I, I... and I feel like the Hawks just don't care. Like they don't care if they have to go into someone else's building, which is because that's the experience, and that's just something that you gain over time and it's just something that's like kind of built into the whole franchise for whatever stupid reason that we can never put it on this intangible thing. Like they just don't care. Like they'll go into other places and you know, we're like, if you think golf is going to go up to Seattle for whatever, like if that ever happened, like no shot, just no shot in the playoffs. So the one game that barely the, the slurs were the collective pick from our aggregate. They were the game that was spit out and was, the fifth and final selection on the card. The Chargers were unfortunately a half point lighter than them. They would have been on the card. We would have gotten a excuse me a four and one week. Um, let's touch upon that game real quick. You and I kind of had the same analysis going into that game. We we both picked the Chargers. The Chargers were a consensus selection, but we both. We're worried that the Steelers were going to do what they always do, coming off of a loss with Tomlin. They bounce back, and they did to an extent, right? 23-7 it was in that game on Sunday night. But then the Chargers come storming back, uh, partly because they're a great team, and they especially have a really good defense, but partly because the Steelers do what they always do, and they stubbornly don't adjust their defense. Keenan Allen gets lined up against a linebacker on 80% or whatever of his snaps, as Warren Sharp pointed out. And he's just running circles around these guys who can't cover him. They simply cannot do it. This Chargers team, I think it's fair to say they're the most complete team in the AFC. I think they're the most complete team in football. If defense matters, if the playoffs roll around and we... The games get a little tighter. Uh, the defenses are allowed to get away with a little bit more. You spoke about the futures market real quick. 
I kind of like this Chargers team to win the Super Bowl, especially if you can get them now at a good price because they've got that Chiefs game in two weeks. The Chiefs looked very mortal against the Raiders. They they eventually got the win, but that game, although it's at Arrowhead and it's at night, it's a Thursday night game. No idea why. I understand for ratings purposes why they want to put better teams on Thursday night, but Chiefs Chargers should not be playing for the division in week 15, I believe it's going to be, on a Thursday night after both playing on Sunday. Like, that is stupid. Through and through. It's, it's asinine. It should be, that should be Sunday night. Like, they should flex it to Sunday night if it was on, you know, the Sunday day game, or that should be a Monday night primetime game. I mean, that's a really good game. And even, and we're getting even three days ha- rest. Three days huh? rest. We're getting three days rest for that yeah. game. Come on. I mean, even ahead of the season, I feel like you could have looked at that game and been like, you know, the Chargers are lining up to be a good team this year. The Chiefs were good last year. You know, they're looking like they're going to be a, another good team. Even if you weren't totally like, you know, Mahomes is going to Canton before the season, you were like, okay, they're still a good team. They're probably going to have 10 wins. Like, it's a divisional game. Why wouldn't you put that game in primetime to begin with? So there's a world where not only do the Chargers win the AFC West, but they get the number one seed. Like, I don't think that's in the realm. I, I think I don't think that's impossible, especially given that that yeah. game is, I think that's a high variance game being a Thursday night game and being that the Chiefs look very mortal right now. I mean, the Chiefs look mortal, you know, the, obviously the, the whole Kareem Hunt thing happened and then they... They got as soft of a landing spot as they could after that. You know, imagine if they had to play a tough team, you know, just given everything that has been happening this week, the distractions, the hunt stuff, like releasing him, you know, all that sort of crap. Just that that can derail a team. It certainly can. It can demoralize a team. Um, and But they got the Oakland Raiders, who are just a total dumpster fire of an organization right now, can't do anything right. So, But <laughs> the Raiders, you know, put up 30 points. They covered, you know, they, not that they were in the game, but if that's if that's a tough team, if that's the Chargers, let's say, this week, you know, who have a good defense, um, they have a good quarterback, and they have a good offense all around, I mean, I think that that's a totally different game for the Chiefs, and you could see the Chiefs you know, end up losing that game if that was, you know, someone like the Chargers or at least a more competent team than the Raiders. So I pulled up some odds right here. The Rams and Saints are both seven to two to win the Super Bowl. Patriots five to one, Chiefs six to one, Chargers twelve to one right now to win the Super Bowl. I wish I could short everyone betting the Rams <laughs> to win the Super Bowl. Just yeah. there's no there's no way in hell Jared Goff is winning the Super Bowl. I don't care. It's not happening. Well, it's going to come down to that Saints Rams game, really. It, that man, but yeah, those two, like the Rams and Saints, should not have the same odds because of golf. If it's if it's for for whatever reason, let's say because this is just how it always works out. As a Patriots fan, if the Patriots get out of the AFC and it's Saints Rams in the NFC, I'm going to pray that the Rams win that game. Well, that's what I would want to short. Because, I mean, good Lord, I would love to see Jared Goff go up against Bill Belichick. Just give it to me. Patriots are 9-4 to four to win the AFC Championship. That's something I want to short. I don't think they can beat the Chiefs or the Chargers. And there's well, a, Yeah, there's I a mean, scenario. those odds are ridiculous, but I think that's just the books have to, they have to, you know, hedge themselves against the public because the public is just always going to be picking the Patriots. There's a, it is likely given that I think we can agree that either the Chargers or the Chiefs are going to win the wild card and the West. 
and whoever wins the West is probably going to get the number one seed. There's a scenario that's very likely in play that the Patriots have to, would have to beat both the Chiefs and the Chargers to get to the Super Bowl. That's tough. That's extremely difficult. And one of the things that I think plays into the favor of the Chargers this year is that they've been playing pretty well on the road. And honestly, I don't think that they have a home field advantage anywhere. I mean, certainly not in LA. Um, so I feel like they're just kind of like, they're used to this, you know, where, where there are teams that they're so much better at home than they are on the road. And they recognize that. I mean, a big Ben with the Steelers is one drew Brees has been one, you know, largely in the past where he goes on the road, especially outside uh, even the Patriots this year, they go, they go on the road. They don't look the same uh, as, as they do at home. Um, so I think the chargers is the fact that they're, they've been playing all year without home field advantage that I don't think it really matters where they go, you know, whether it's at home or whether it's on the road. I mean, there was that game against the chiefs, uh, out in LA, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, I mean, it looked like a sea of red in the stands. Like there was no chargers fans there. I mean, so that just, they just feel like they're just kind of doing their thing and going through the motions and, and whatever. And then they went up to Heinz field and won there. So yeah, I like this chargers team. I do. I like Chargers twelve to one, and I I also like Vikings thirty three to one to win the Super Bowl. Still, yeah, I don't know about the Vikings, man. I, I just I don't know. I wanted to see more of them out of that game uh, against the Patriots this week, but it just it wasn't the, there. The I, I don't had, know. I don't know what it was. Well, the Patriots had two weeks to prepare for that game. Let's be honest. Like you know, they were installing Vikings game plans before the Jets game. They they did not take the Jets seriously. They if they took the Jets seriously, they would have won by forty, but they didn't. They just came in, they took care of business, and they won by two touchdowns. You know they were installing Minnesota game plans two weeks true, in advance. True. I didn't think that the I didn't think that the Patriots game plan on offense uh, against the Vikings was that special. I didn't I really felt like they held a lot of stuff back. I don't really know why. It seemed weird. Um but yeah, uh, who knows. And then I don't know. The, the fact that the Vikings didn't have the snapper on the, or the holder on the field for one of their field goals, like that stuff is like, re- really, guys? Another team is just going to go into Gillette and do this crap. Patriots like, magic, man. Can you get it together. Like that guy, first of all, that guy, the the, the holder, I'm, I was I was told that he was the punter. So he's on the field either way. So, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're either punting or you're holding the field goal. Like you're what you're unless they're going for the ball, but no, they're not going for it because Kirk Cousins is standing right next to you. So get your ass out of the field, man. Patriots magic, man. I've been trying to we've been trying to explain this to people for years now. Whatever reason, teams just melt in front of the altar of Bill Belichick. I don't get it. I really don't. Like, that would be one thing that I would say, like, against the Chargers. Like, if they have to go into Gillette, because it's it's Anthony Lynn. Like, for whatever reason, like, the Chargers went in there last year, I believe, and, like, Terrell Williams was, like, running back 15 yards on a punt return, like, into the end zone. Like, stupid stuff like that you just see, you know? And it's just, like, you see it all the time. It's like, what are these teams doing? Like, what are they doing? <laughs> all right, let's do, let's look at the Super Contest standings real quick and then get out of here. Last week, the average points per team was 2.34, so we surpassed that again. Pigskin Junkies remains your leader another 4-1 in one week. They have 49 points, 49-16, and 16, the old 74, 75.4% clip. And you had a stat, uh, this is the best performance ever so far in the Super Contest? 
Um, so, well, it's tied. So back in 2014, the winner was CH Ballers. Uh, they were also 49 and 16 uh, after week 13. So normally you don't see this sort of pace. Uh, I mean, this is just, you You always see the, the pace like this, you know, really early on, whether it's 85%, 80%, you know, the first handful of weeks in the season, people just got a really hot hand. They're off to a start. But once things start to adjust, you know, everything kind of comes back down to earth. Um, you see people fall back to like, you know, 70% for, for the leaders. Um, I mean, this year, the fact that uh, Pigskin Junkies is over 75% still uh, going forward, I mean, I think it's just absolutely incredible. So, yeah, so since 2000, or the earliest time that, that someone has been uh, doing this well in the Super Contest uh, was 2014. Uh, CH Ballers went on to finish, uh, the, like, with, like, the all-time record. Like, they just absolutely crushed it uh, all year. Um, I mean, they... They ended up 64, 20, and 1, which is 76.2%. They won the thing by four and a half points. The, the next closest was somebody at 60 points. So um, that's like that historical mark that uh, Pigskin Junkies is chasing. If they can, you know, beat that all-time record, I think that, that would be really crazy. Um, but also, I mean, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen this year just because there are more teams than ever. So there's a just a, a bigger pool of to, you know, to pull someone out that just gets on a crazy run. Um, so yeah, I mean, 3,123 entries this year. So, so yeah, I mean, first time since CH ballers again, that was back in 2014. So super interesting, uh, just looking at CH ballers this year, uh, as long as it's the same team and someone didn't steal their name, uh, they're 33, 28 and four this year. So winning record, obviously not as good as they did in 2014 when they won the thing, but, uh, still positive overall. The money line right now is 40 and a half points we are five points clear of that and we were trying to gauging what the cut will be and we think it's going to be uh what do we say 52 points which 52 and a half i think if you go best based on like past years so long way to go obviously that could also you know it could go up and down but it's been pretty um uh been pretty consistent at least so i based it on the 3.2 percent number because that's what 100 places is of uh, 3,123 entries this year. So, so yeah, so it can it can be you know plus or minus one point, but I think it's going to be right around that 52.5 mark. Um, obviously, ties can really factor in; uh, it can really you know change things. But, but yeah, I mean, we can get there, but we're going to need to run. Um, I mean, overall, I just I think you would agree. Just finish the year strong, and then there's that last contest uh, for 15k at the end of the season, the last three weeks. So. That'll be something to go for, too. Yeah, four and one the rest of the way gets us some cash. It also puts us in the running for that three-week contest. In addition to that, I'd like to finish above um, 60%. How about that? We're currently at 55. Let's get to 60%. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in. I mean, I I feel like we do all right. Obviously, our, our ending result isn't always indicative, I feel like, of how we have done all year because – these last couple of weeks, um, you know, this is the time when you've got to start really trying to press, you know, because <laughs> if you want to make it, you got to do some different things, some more wacky things, think a little bit more outside the box. So let's say we end up finishing with like a 52% record. If we were just grinding for the absolute best percentage, we might be able to get up to 58 or 60. Um, but if we're trying to get into the money, if we're trying to make a splash, well, we might need to do some different things. So that higher risk could lead to higher reward, but with the higher risk could falter at some points. And contrarian plays were pretty good this week. The bottom seven selections were six and seven. 
bottom seven, including our Arizona Cardinals, plus 13.5. They were the 29th selection this week. Come on, guys. That was a slam dunk. Uh, top three, also losers, Colts, Steelers, Falcons, loser, loser, loser. But then the rest of the top ten was rounded out by six winners and one loser. So six and four, top ten, top three, all O and three. And we're picking some winners. And if not, at least we're providing some entertainment. And hopefully you're getting involved in our raffle. In order to do so, all you have to do is tweet a single pick against the Super Contest spread. If you get your game right, you get a ticket or even easier than that, just retweet an episode of our podcast on Twitter, which you can find at Gridiron Gamble, and you get a free ticket. And DP, the jerseys arrived. You put a picture in the chat. They're looking good, man. Yeah, I'll have uh, I'll have some better pictures uh, coming once I, I received half the jerseys. I need to get the other half. Um, but also, I'm putting together a Google Doc. I know, Rich, you've seen it, but I'm adding some stuff to it. Um, I'll make that... Uh, public for viewing uh, so everyone can see kind of where people stand uh, with their picks it'll also have links to all of the the tweets that include episodes that people can retweet so even if you haven't what we said at the beginning is if you want to just retweet it whenever you want through the rest of the season go right ahead to earn those extra raffle tickets we want you guys to be involved as much as possible so check out at grid iron gamble or even better at dunny underscore peters to get that google doc and more information that's going to be it for the tuesday show we'll be joined friday again by bert and hopefully mo if he can tailor us into his work schedule but until then best of luck in waivers and prepping for the fantasy playoffs until then peace out